0: to the podcast. In this podcast episode, I talk with Carmack Russell about his book, The Connected Community, Discovering the Health, Wealth, and Power of Neighborhoods. So, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you, John. Good to be with you. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Dublin. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah, and today we're going to be talking about your recent book, "The Connected Community: Discovering the Health, Wealth, and Power of Neighborhoods." I love this. I we were talking in the pre-interview um, in my faculty role here at the university. Uh, I'm in the organizational leadership department, I'm chair and I teach and do research in the areas of organizational leadership and people management, but I also am the academic director of our Center for Social Impact, and we do all sorts of really cool programming around social impact issues and various pathways of impact, and this community connection piece is essential, the relational care component of connecting with the community, listening to living experts, and all of those sorts of things to inform the work that we do is absolutely essential. So some in the audience might be thinking, this is an organizational leadership podcast. Why are you talking about community? Why are you talking about neighborhoods? Um, now, certainly, uh, if we zoom out a little bit, hopefully you'll see the application. Our organizations exist within the context of broader communities. So if we're trying to drive any sort of impact through our organization, we have to connect with the communities in effective ways. Uh, hopefully, it's also, it'll become increasingly obvious how important it is uh, for us to develop a sense of connected community within our organizations as well. Uh, so within, and then connecting out, all of this will lead to uh, more sustainable programs and initiatives, and allow us to have a, a, a better, more far-reaching impact in whatever avenue we're, you know, we're shooting for uh, within our organization. So that's what we'll be exploring together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Carmack's bio with everybody. Carmack Russell is a social explorer, author, speaker, and managing director of Nurture Development. He sits on the faculty of the Asset-Based Community Development Institute at DePaul University of Chicago. Thank you again for joining us. Anything you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we dive on it?
1: Not at all, John. I just really resonated with what you were sharing there at the opening and saying that actually community is whatever you say it is. And it's an experience that uh, you, you can have in so many different contexts. And in this conversation, I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to help people see just how powerful it is if you think about your organizational contribution through the lens of ABCD and through the lens of community. That actually leads really well into my first question
0: what do you mean by community? It can mean a lot of things. It can mean something different to everyone. Um, as you know, in in your work uh, with the ABCD at DePaul, you know what what do you mean by connected community? And maybe provide some yeah. examples.
1: It's just such a key question, and of course, I suppose it's important that we honor and don't minimize the fact that community means very different things for different people. Yeah. So this is about imposing my definition on anybody. But I think it's helpful to think about, often we're you know, we talking about the idea here, the concept of community, and I think that can tie us in knots. We could spend forever talking about what is community. I think a more useful question to ask is, where is community for you? Mm-hmm. And uh, place, or at least space, within which we have experience matters. So I think it's important to think about community as a verb. It's something we do in place mm-hmm. with others. Um, That can be online. Um, Ideally, at some point we come off, you know, we come uh, off the uh, Internet and we're on land uh, with people, but it can happen in different spaces. So I think it's a verb. I also feel that it's about being relational. It's about being in a related context. Uh, or at least in related conversation with others, and I think the other piece that's really important for me at least is that community is the space where we can welcome the stranger at the edge. Mm.
0: I really like that. Welcome the stranger at the edge can you Can you unwrap that a little bit more? I know it mm. elicited certain um ideas of meaning to me as soon as you said that, but I, sure. I would love to hear a little bit more for what sure.
1: you that i I think. That perhaps sometimes the word community can be uh, misinterpreted. So we can we can use it to mean things that, in fact, are the opposite of certainly what I mean by community. So we can use it to describe uh, how people sometimes close in and just organize around, you know, folks that are like them and uh, to exclude those that are in their mind not like them. So it's very much a process of othering. And uh, certainly people who have experienced being pushed to the edge and have been actively or continue to be actively marginalised, oppressed, uh, you know, uh, suffer structural racism, would say that many of their experiences of community uh, are people closing uh, life, uh, you know, uh, in on themselves and away from them. So I think it's really important to talk about community as permeable. So communities, by definition, have an invisible uh, ring that say these folks are in and everybody else is out. I think the, the other way of thinking about community is that, yes, we can certainly invite small gatherings and small relatedness, but we can also actively say there's an empty chair at the table and we welcome you in. And in fact, ideally, if you're dissenting, if you have a difference of opinion, if you think or act differently, we're particularly curious to welcome you mm-hmm. so i think that really matters and that's what i mean by welcome the stranger at the edge
0: yeah i love it and that's that's really the crux of what an inclusive community is all about right if you if you develop right. a community whether it's a neighborhood or an organization uh, whatever the con specific context you're, just, you're talking about if you create a welcoming community uh, that's inclusive in that way where there's a true sense of belonging you know the, Commun- one of the nice things about community is there there is a sharedness that happens within communities and people know how to relate to each other um and there's shared meaning all those sorts of things but to your point like you don't if you if you close it in and you box it in too much and you make it too rigid um you're 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 keeping all of the people who don't strictly you know conform to you know a prescribed set of norms and values you you're you're uh you're really artificially limiting the, the scope and scale of that community in the modern age where we, we know that diversity is important. We know that it helps organizations function better. We know that communities are better served when they have diverse voices that feel safe to share. Uh, I think it, it, it just is a good reminder to us always that having a seat at the table and welcoming, like not just saying you can come, you know, some people will say you all are welcome. But most people who say all are welcome say all are welcome if you come and act, think, talk just like we do, right? right. (laughs) But if we can actually say all are welcome, come as you are, there's a seat for you at the table. We would love to learn from you. That is a very different thing. And that sense of inclusion and belonging becomes really, really powerful. And it can strengthen the communities in which those people are a part. Yeah,
1: well said. And the other piece I'd add to that is, is that some folks will say you're welcome. But the trade-off is is you must come and bring your deficits or what we Mm -hmm. perceive to be your damage. And as long as you allow us to be one up on you, in other words, be a volunteer, be a helper, and you continue to be in the space of being helped, needy, deficient, then we're very happy to include you. And this is a way of keeping people at a distance. You know, Mm -hmm. whenever you see a community of folks where There's a clear distinction between those that are being helped and those that are doing the helping. And those that are doing the helping require nothing of those that are helped. You know that's not a community. That's a charity. Hmm. And I think that's one of the things that needs some kind of reconciliation in an awful lot of our modern conversations where we really move past the damage narrative and the deficit narrative, and we start recognizing that the welcome for the stranger at the edge is the recognition that they have gifts that we cannot do life without, that actually our lives are enriched by that diversity. It's not just an act of charity or, dare I say, an act of seeming pious, (laughs) but it's an act of genuine recognition that we need each other, that we're interdependent rather than independent.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, you're part of the asset-based community development institute, Mm -hmm. an asset-based perspective that's so different than the deficit perspective. And the deficit Mm -hmm. model, that's a framework that so many people function under. And and I I think people probably function under that mindset and framework, you know, from a place of good intention, um, perhaps. But but there are so I mean, you could articulate for us all the p- problems <laughs> with a deficit based approach. and uh, and taking an asset-based approach uh, is just so much healthier in so many ways. and And you mentioned something about really it's 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 bringing everyone in and 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 inviting the stranger from the edge in that that leads to, and that can add to this idea of us developing the good life. Can you talk more about that? What does the good life mean to you? Uh, Now, obviously, everyone probably has different goals, they have different aspirations, different values. So the particulars of the quote unquote, good life is probably Mm -hmm. as unique as every individual on this planet. Um, But what are some of those components that you feel are important in this conception of a good life?
1: One of the things, and it's, it's probably helpful in thinking about what a good life looks like, generally speaking, whether you're in the context of an institution or you're outside in the context of friends, family, and you know uh, that more informal sense of community there, I think one of the things that people feel when they experience a good life is that sense that um, they are in a lot of reciprocal relationships, where they don't feel those relationships are managed, that's number one. So mm-hmm. you might say, I often think that in life wherever we're moving through, that there are three there are three pretty um identifiable spaces that we move within. One is managed space. You know, mm-hmm. i got to watch my peaks and cues. There's customs and practice here. Uh, I'll get punished if I do this. I'll get rewarded if I do that. Then there's private space. At its best, it can be solitude, nothing like, you know, sitting in a corner at the end of the day, reading a nice book, having your own space. But at its worst, it can become the dark night of the soul where we're completely mm-hmm. isolated. So that's the second. So from managed space to private or personal space, the third one I think is uh, shared space. And I think the more we have a sense of shared space, appropriate personal space and mm-hmm. uh not too much managed managed space, so you kind of, the balance between these three, the more people I think would describe their subjective experience as having a good life. Um, shared space is an interesting one because I think shared space is less about contract, less about I do it because I'm paid, and more about moving through the world at the speed of trust. Mm. So it, it feels very much, to use that gift economy idea, it feels like you're much more uh, inflow and you're moving with relational welfare rather than I'm doing this because I'm salaried and I'm working with other salaried strangers. But there's more of a sense of collaboration, more of a sense of creation. And it's less about accountability and more about choosing to be accountable to something that is a shared purpose that's bigger than my self-interest. Doesn't mean self-interest is a bad thing, but it you know we're working towards... A greater purpose than my narcissistic intent or yours. Mm. Um, so, so that that's a broad, broad brushstroke description of the good life. In practice, we often talk about this idea that if you're experiencing the good life, you feel yourself as an agent, not as a client of somebody else's agency. Yeah. So you have this sense of, I can create, I can make, I can influence, but I can also create the conditions within which other people can. T- so I know how to, you know, to contribute to, and sometimes to sacrifice space to create the space for a collective creation, whether that's a project at work or, you know, setting up a neighborhood, watch in your neighborhood or whatever, you know, whatever the endeavor might be um as some people describe that as volunteering but i think it's something that's much more substantive than that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so i think when people have those experiences they might uh, cumulatively say hey I'm, I'm i'm living the good life the good life isn't just human centric yeah. the good life has some kind of an embodied sense uh of how i am within my surroundings And how I impact my surroundings and how my surroundings impact me. So there's that sense that, you know, we are paying attention to uh, our relationship at at that level as well, not just human to human. Yeah,
0: you said something a moment ago that really resonated with me, moving through the world at the speed of trust. But this idea of of trust being so um, foundational to everything that we do in community building, everything, again, neighborhood community building, as well as organizational community building. it You do not build community unless you have trust, unless you can cr- develop that relational care uh, amongst people within that community. Um, can you speak a little bit to more to that idea yeah. of moving through the world at the speed of trust? I
1: just love that yeah. idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. And I, I think it's important to think about scale um, in the sense that, you know, it's it's really interesting that past a certain scale, we have to take what would be the glue of trust and we've got to replace it with something else like centralized bureaucracy uh, or networks um, where you have a centralized administrator or indeed an AI or a digital way of administering because you're moving past the threshold where everybody feels that the only way this enterprise is going to work is if we all pitch in and contribute and Mm -hmm. we assume the best of each other Uh, so we trust each other uh, to essentially keep this enterprise together so that idea that the trust is the glue and past it past a certain scale as I say you know uh, money becomes the glue and some some people say this to me. I do a lot of organizational development uh, work as well and very much would use the lens of community to uh, hold up and say, hey, look at your organization through this and see what way you see the world. And a lot of people would say, hey, you know, our, our organization, the glue of our organization is trust. So I think one of the ways to test that is stop paying staff, stop paying staff for two weeks and see uh, whether trust is sufficient. And I think you'll find it isn't. But um, we in my neighborhood and in friendship groups where we organize a soccer uh, you know, game every Monday evening, that is the level and the scale at which I think you can manage to do all kinds of things. Now, interestingly, there is a sideshow or a behind-the-curtain show that goes on in every organization, even where money is exchanged. And that's where in all kinds of senses in goodwill and good faith People are creating workarounds and they're doing things to watch out and care for each other, but they're not doing that because they're paid. And a great test of that is the work to rule. So, you know, instead of going on full out strike, just working to your contract. And then you start realizing if people just worked to their contract, in other words, they (laughs) did what they're paid to do, it would be a disaster. And so you begin to see that trust actually is what makes the world go around and keeps the world, in a sense, in some way, coherent and intact. And obviously, when that breaks down, it really is massively consequential, and no amount of money is going to fix that. that that's one of the things that's really interesting, I think, about uh, the organizational piece, is that so often we try to fix the trust deficit with technical fixes, mm. uh, when in fact... It may be, we see this constantly in organizations, but in communities too, where the different parts of the organization have become factionalized into silos. See this with local governments in particular, um, you know, where one part of the local government really just can't stand the other function down the hall. Right. right. And sometimes yeah. the, the best way to heal that is actually to do something that is convivial, that's congenial. That's not about you know getting Accenture or KPMG or whatever to come in and facilitate uh, a team building day, but is like let, let's go and you know do something <laughs> together. So I I think that piece around building trust is really key. But there's a a, a more serious dimension to uh, the building of trust as well, and I think that's also giving people permission to say no, to know that they're in a culture where they can dissent. And I think that really is the kind of the, the the final threshold question. Uh, I can get along here. I can have fun, but if I need to, and if I have to say no, will my no be received and will it be heard? If the answer is no, (laughs) then ultimately you're not passing the sniff test when it comes to trust.
0: Yeah. You're describing a situation where there's no psychological safety. Um, Mm -hmm you know so people right. have to feel safe to be able to dissent and you also articulated very well like there's interpersonal trust there's also institutional trust uh, there's there's the mechanisms of institutions through policies practices and procedures that can either Further develop, you know, that in institutional trust or erode it, <laughs> and and the interplay between those interpersonal and inter, uh, institutional trust factors it, it, it can be complicated and it's very very important to consider. Um, now, I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in a few minutes. It's almost your weekend, uh, and I know you have plans with your family. Uh, maybe as we close, I just want to give you a chance to share with the audience maybe a couple practical tips that they can um, use as they go out to start creating more meaningful and connected community?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things. I think one is y- y- we often hear in modern life, bring, bring your whole self to work. So my first tip is don't buy that. You're mm-hmm. actually quite entitled to hold some stuff back for your family, for your friends, and for your community outside of work. And uh, that's important if you ever get sick or if you ever retire, or if you have a life outside of work, uh, you actually, you know, you need to fill your own cup in order to fill the cup of others. So th- that's a key piece. If if you're moving through your neighborhood and your community, uh, particularly outside of work, and you're finding that you're doing that almost like a tourist on a bus with the curtains closed, then maybe there there's parts of the good life that you're not experiencing. So some of this keep some gas in the tank for your own community. Because in all kinds of ways, this is the second point, there are all kinds of invisible kickbacks or paybacks or rewards um, or just experiences of joy that you can discover in your local community of place or of affinity that's really hard to discover within the limits of a managed space, like a contractual relationship in an institution. It's possible. I've said that already, but it's not always the same. So I think that's the second tip, is to recognize that part of the possibility here is to make visible what's often invisible. So the third piece is that modern life places a value on the marketplace, on what you can produce to the marketplace and what you can consume from the marketplace. So my third tip really is to recognize we are not primarily... Uh, consumers of the marketplace or producers in the marketplace that actually life is much more expensive and i think when we think about ourselves as citizens in local places in biospheres uh, and in relation to our neighbors as well as obviously in the workplace then i think we open a scope of possibility out which is incredibly exciting and very rewarding uh helps us get towards the good life as we were talking about earlier on john yeah. Well said. Carmack, this has just been a real pleasure.
0: As we wrap things up, I just want to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Great. So there's a couple of different things that folks can do to be in touch with us. Um, the Both of my books, Rekindling Democracy, that Professional's Guide to Working in Citizen Space, which may be of interest to people working in organizations. The blue book uh, is available at uh, the usual uh on the usual platforms and the more recent book that we've been talking about today the connected community is really uh, an orientation guide for how you can build community of, of affinity and place in your local neighborhood or indeed your local group so i would say both of those are available do check them out and they're pretty much uh you know, uh, good value for the investment. We also have a lot of stuff that's just free online. So you can look me up by name, Cormac uh, Russell, or you can check out my social enterprise, which is nurturedevelopment.org. That's nurturedevelopment.org. And we can put some, I guess, uh, further information in the notes. Also, more recently, we have started a podcast, uh, myself and my co-host, Sasha DeWolf, uh, out at Mount Allison. And uh, we're interviewing all kinds of really cool people from around the world who are living into the connected community. And we're on episode three, so check that out as well. It's called the Connected Community Podcast. Wonderful. Carmack, thank you so much. I encourage the audience to reach
0: out, get connected, find out more about what Carmack can do for you. Check out the books. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. You can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.